This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem, Asha Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. Uh, there's a question on my left. Yeah. Everybody always teaches about free choice and we can't get a grip on it. Nobody really comes with a definition to tell us what it is. I know more or less, but <laughs> you want to say something about it? I could say a little on free choice, but that's not going to be our subject today. Okay. Um, but just, just a little on free choice is that I don't know how I look, by the way. I just came out of the desert and... I've been I've been like a couple hours in the mountains in the desert, and I just took off all my riding gear and put on my clothes. And I hope I look somewhat presentable. Do I look okay? Would you send me to school if I were a little boy? Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, it's so bizarre. To, I've been in the I've been in this lunar landscape of the Judean Judean desert, and um, and riding on these roller coaster rides of these just these amazing trails that are about that wide and they ride like that you're, you're like on a camelback riding down with giant drops on either side of you and you're just like shooting down these things sometimes there's you're going down one of those things and all of a sudden it's a cliff not a big cliff just a bit of a cliff and you just fly off it and hit the trail and keep going it's so it's, I've just come from like an extreme adrenaline, uh, three hours of extreme adrenaline. So it's like bizarre to be standing in front of you right now. But I, I'm happy to be here. It's my last class for two and a half weeks here in Israel. Uh, again, I'm announcing that Seattle, Seattle, Washington, this Shabbos, Big Shabbaton, Seattle, Washington. And, uh, and then I'll be in, um, in L.A. visiting my folks. And then I'll be in... Uh, New York, running a personal growth seminar. It's the Possible Seminar in Muncie, New York, in two weeks. So um, anyone who would like to be part of that, please go to thepossibleu.org and get signed up. Did I make a bracha yet? Now, I'm going to answer... <laughs> so... Uh, everyone turn off your phones now that we heard one of them. Um, just someone asked about free will. It's my friend over here. What's your name again? Charles. Charles. From where? From Amsterdam. Amsterdam, yeah. My friend Charles, who I haven't seen in a while, is back. I was in Amsterdam, but I came back. Amsterdam, okay, great. Great. People from Amsterdam don't necessarily smoke weed the whole time they're there, you know. <laughs> they're from Amsterdam, okay? <laughs> now, um, anyway, the... The discussion of free will, I like to just go with the straight Kabbalistic understanding of free will, is that all of your life is lived in, sorry, everything in the physical world is an illusion, and in that illusion, you've been given consciousness. So you're this conscious being floating through a video game, so to speak, meaning God has, this is a holographic projection that God's projecting out of himself. There's really only God. All there is is God, but he's, but he's projecting this physical world around us with all of its rules and all of its laws and it always looks the same each day and the stars are in the right places. You can uh, bet on it and it's, uh, these are, it's all a mathematical, highly scientific reality we're living in. And, but, but it's coming from God because all there is is God ultimately. How do I know that? I know that because before there was something, what was there? Nothing. nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. nothing. And so since nothing makes nothing, 
And b- before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Okay, that's the fourth second proof of God. I'll say it again. Before there was something, there was nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. nothing. If you have nothing, what do you get? Nothing. nothing. Okay, before there was something, there was nothing. Since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Okay, it's an incontrovertible proof of God. As long as you can say before there was something, there was nothing. But everybody says that. Whether you're a physicist, whether you're a scientist of any kind, or whether you are a, or you're Jewish and you hold of the book of Genesis, which says before there was something, there was nothing. You'd have to be philosophical or some theorist to start talking, positing there being something before there was something. But everyone else says there was nothing, and that's what seems to be the case. And so, listen, we don't know what God is. We have no idea what God is, but let me tell you something. If any of you figure out how to make something from nothing, we're going to call you God too. We call God God because he pulled that off. Nothing ever, ever has happened in the physical world where something came out of nothing. The only time it ever happened gave the title God to the, per- to the being that did it. That's all. God doesn't mean anything either. What does God mean? It's a symbol for a being that we have no idea what it is. No, no. <clears throat> since all there was was this consciousness called God, what did God use to create the world? There's no Home Depot. There's no uh, Costco in heaven. What did God use to create the world? If all there was was himself, what did he make the world out of? Himself, that's right. God created the world out of himself. And I'm only saying himself because the masculine is causative and feminine is a receiver. Okay, that's a, that's a universal mystical reality is that everything of cause, whether you're a female or a male human being, when you're being in the causative, when you're asserting yourself in some way, you're in a masculine mode. And when you're receiving, you're in a feminine mode. And all of us have to be able to play both, both cards. But God is playing the masculine card in as much as he is creator. And so we call him he. The physical world that he creates is ultimately created out of himself because if all there was was himself, what did he make the world out of? Himself. So what is the world really made of? Himself. So, what's, so the world is ultimately a holographic projection. It's an illusion, a holographic projection that God is projecting around you. And you should know that your soul... Your consciousness, this soul that you're, that you're in this room with. Like, right now, I know your body's here, but you're also, I mean, I'm looking at all your eyes. I see everyone's conscious state. I can't see your eyes. But everyone's <laughs> conscious state is here. You're all conscious here. You're all conscious here, which is not your body. It's not your body. Your body and your brain, your heart, all those things are reporting to the conscious state called you. And that is the soul at least on some tiny part, meaning the very outer edge of your soul is, that con- is where your consciousness is. And that consciousness that you're experiencing this room with right now is, your, is really you, and it's eternal too, which is amazing. It never goes away. The only thing that really gets in its way is your thoughts. And your thoughts often hijack it and make you believe your, your thoughts. But you are not your thoughts. You, are, you have a consciousness, and your brain shoots thoughts to the consciousness. And your consciousness is like an outfielder in baseball catching the thoughts. 
But what happens is if you get, if you're losing sight of the fact that you're a conscious being inside a physical body, what happens is the thoughts have so much context that you start to believe you're your thoughts. Your thoughts will actually hijack you. And you'll believe you're your thinking as opposed to this conscious being. This consciousness of yours is eternal. It's part of God. You are part of God, ultimately. Meaning, you are your consciousness, and, you, and since the consciousness part of God, so you are part of God. And it's eternal. The only thing in the way is your brain. And one day you won't have a brain. No offense. Uh, meaning, I don't mean to scare anybody, but, but there's something called death. And part of death is being brain dead, and the brain dies. And then all of a sudden, that, lip, that tiny amount of the soul that's in the consciousness pulls up into the rest of the soul. See, you have five levels of soul. Each level has, each of those five has gradations of levels. And so the highest level is the level called the, the, the yechida, like the word echad. It's one with everybody. It's like if your feet are on the floor right now, everyone put your feet on the forest floor a second, plant your feet, and imagine your feet now also go under the floor, spiritually, and underneath the floor, it's like the earth, under the floor is all of our feet are connected to one giant organism that each one of us is popping up through in. That one organism that's underneath the floor is called Yechida. It's where all the souls are one. Then there's a part of your soul called the Chaya and all of its levels. Then there's a part of your soul called the Neshama. Then there's a soul, part of your soul called the Ruach. Then there's a soul, part of your soul called the Nefesh. And at the very bottom of the Nefesh, like right about where the little white part of your fingernail is, at the edge of your fingernail, that little thin part is the USB cable interface with your neurons, which tell you your thoughts, tell the thoughts. But again, they hijack you because how many people are really in touch with that conscious self of theirs, their soul? How many people are really in touch with that? Very few people. Only meditators and spiritually dedicated people, people who are, who are, um, people who are, uh, 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 what do you call it, um, uh, disciplined thinkers, um, people who are involved in mystical traditions, have that, people who spend time meditating in Kabbalah, and also, obviously, people taking psychedelic compounds are in touch with these, this true consciousness, which is, which is who you really are. This is why so many people drop addictions after they have a mystical experience of any of the above mentioned. That the you'd never think that drugs are how you get off of, off of addictions, but uh, even the leader of Alcoholics Anonymous at one point wanted to introduce LSD to Alcoholics Anonymous, because that was the number one and still is the number one s mystical state that removes one's issues that are causing them to need to numb themselves with addiction. It, it's a, not an easy process. I mean, obviously they're going through a lot. In that process, I mean, that's not an easy thing, but at least it's a one-time thing, and they don't want to ever look at alcohol again. So it's a, he, he himself wanted to introduce uh, LSD to Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, all of these experiences are ultimately to get you to be a conscious being and not just your thoughts. Now, I don't know about the United States of ASAP and all the Western countries of ASAP, whether they whether they want us to believe we are our thoughts. But you could almost paint a picture that Westernism, and if any of you are raised in the world of West, and including the, their war on drugs, which has hurt way more people than drugs would have ever hurt, the, uh, their war on drugs, um, but it could be that you could actually 
make quite a case for the fact that they don't want you having mystical experiences because mystical experiences make you less apt to go buy new things, cosmetics, or renew your car every three years or, or, uh, or uh, have you in deep competition with, with other people to make, get a bigger slice of the pie of the physical world, which is anyway all going to get taken away from you when you die. But if someone knows that their conscious being is who they are, so then they, are, they last forever, you're forever. And therefore, you're not going to spend a lot of time investing in things that anyway get ripped out from under you when you die. Because everything you're invested in is the stuff that lasts forever. You make your decisions based on eternity. Besides, obviously, some mountain bike rides or craft beer. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a good time. But, the, uh, but your main decisions are based on the eternity. And that's why we spend a lot of time um, investing in family, in our world. Because in the Jewish world, in the Torah world, we want to spend as much time possible, uh, literally, literally, uh, I need a good word, uh, what do you call it, what a virus would do? In, infusing infecting the world with consciousness. Yeah, but we want to go viral. We want to go viral in that. And the best way to go viral in helping the world become a world of spirituality, of voice, which is the call of Yaakov, the voice of Jacob, to get the world to go voice over hands, which is industriousness, industrial revolution, westernism, mechanization, atom bombs, ozone layer. Instead of going hands, we want to go voice. Voice is spirituality. And we want the world to go voice. Well, the best way to go voice is have as many kids as you can because they're really the only people you'll ever influence in a real big way. They're the ones you'll influence. That's why it says that Abraham, I mean, Abraham and Sarah had a lot of impact on people, but in the end, it all boiled down to Isaac because he grew up in his home. And so your chance, your biggest chance to make a difference in this world is your children. So you want to have a lot of them. I come from a radical environmentalist background. Uh, radical environmentalism is basically the kind of club you don't want anyone to know you're part of because they do a lot of illegal things to protect the environment. And I was part of the, one of those organizations, which is called Earth First. And uh, Earth First is like really out there in their tactics. And obviously, I don't believe in the, I don't believe anymore in such things. But in the, at the time, I was an Earth Firster. And um, we, Earth First people generally don't get married and have children because, because overpopulation, lack of resources. So when I, when I visited America with my eight children, I, a couple of my old Earth First buddies came to a party at my parents' house. And they see me walk in the house with my wife. And then we had like ducklings, you know, like one after the other following us into the house. And, and my Earth First people were just like astounded. And especially me, because like I knew more than they did about you know which which companies are like burning rainforest for grazing lands and why we won't support those companies. And like I knew everything about this. I wouldn't support any company that had any negative impact on the environment. Um, just uh, I know we're on a parenthetical point right now, but I'm actually going to do another parenthetical point that this level of living your truth is everything about Judaism. Meaning, so many people, so many people think that they can just keep the 613 laws and all the halachas of how to keep the 613, meaning how you do it, which is all the shulchan aruch. People think you can just do that, 
and then just go be a litter bug and a chain smoker and an overweight consumer and 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 think they're into truth and they'll literally convince themselves that they're into truth but that's not called truth truth is something that that cuts through every every element of reality it's going to be everywhere it's from your self care to your self talk to your to your uh, way you did or way you deal with your own personal carbon footprint on this planet that's all part of truth so don't think you can just put on a pair of cosmic dental floss and start ignoring everything you got to know where your food comes from you got to know who's being affected you got to know what the, what the whole chain is what's happening be be uh, be a truthful person in every way not just in uh, how you pray anyway um, but that was another princess um, so I told them they finally sat me down and the earth firsters said they said Reb Yomto they did not say Reb Yomto they said Glazer you knew you know more about environmental environmentalism than we do what's with all these kids and Amazing timing, because we're sitting on the cliffs. My parents live on the cliffs overlooking Malibu. I'll be there next week. And I'll have you all in mind while I'm sipping a cold beer, looking at the Pacific Coast after a nice surf session. Anyway, the, um, I just made my mountain bike plans, too, for L.A. this morning. Anyway, the, um, but just as they're speaking, my kids go flying down the bluffs overlooking the ocean. Why? Because a rapper of something went shooting down and my kids are all after it. They're going to not, they're going to make sure there's no litter anyway. But while that happened, they said, what's with the, all these kids? What's with all these kids? I said, so when you're creating more of the problem, you should definitely think about having less, but when you're creating the solution, you should have as many as possible. I've created eight solutions and their teachers tell me at the end of every year that, that I was right when I told them at the beginning of the year that please pay extra attention to this kid because this kid's being was born and raised to make a difference in this planet. And I want you to just put a little extra into him to make sure that he's going to have what it takes when he gets old enough to actually make that impact. There was no selfishness in my wife and my children. It was every kid was very much, what's the word, very much thought through. And what we were doing was very deliberate. It was extremely deliberate. My wife and I were fed up with this planet. We're, we're shocked the place hasn't fallen through space already from the weight of its problems. If I can quote uh, Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers, it goes like this. He says, I heard it said about the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. I heard it said about the weight of the world's problems is enough to make the ball fall right through space. Uh, can't remember the rest of it. It ain't easy. Can't remember. We all get older. Nothing make the ball fall right through space. With all that's going on. Let me just go down and say it. That I'm glad to be here Here with all the same pain and lies Everybody knows 
Some may think they're born to be king. Maybe that's true. But I think spreading love around is all we were meant to do. Let them build their kingdoms. Come on. Let them make their laws for this world to heed. Oh, you and I make life worth living. No, right here in each other's arms. I'm here to love you. That's it. Okay. So. Sorry, I didn't think I was going to be singing today. I'm like, I realize now I kind of woke up, prayed, and went to the mountains. My voice is not warmed up even in the least bit. Um, any- <laughs> anyway, so... It ain't even easy to live with all that's going around. Something like that. Okay, now. You are a conscious being moving through a holographic, godly reality, which is called, ready for this? It's called the divine. The divine is not God. We use the word loosely, and that's fine. You're certainly welcome to. It's okay to use the word divine. But, but the word literally, the word divine literally means how God is existing through an entire metaphysical world all the way into our physical world. But this is all part of the divine. Everything's part of the divine. Even the dark side is part of the divine. Everything is made of this stuff. And you're a conscious being flowing through it. And you know what your body is? Your body is your avatar. Your body is just an avatar to get around with. So let me just make, let me just get this real clear here. We're inside the mind of God. Everything here is just a holographic projection. Your consciousness is what's floating through it. Your body is the avatar that your consciousness has been given to walk around with. It's covered in, it's covered actually in, uh, in sensors. It's covered in nerve endings. These are all sensors for you to like, to, to send info to the neurons, which, which then report them to your consciousness. The only other thing that I can tell you that's super cosmic about all that is that there is no such thing as time. Because God's doing this now and has only done this now. Past and future are a part of your psychology. Meaning your ability to remember is it's really important, by the way. It's not a bad thing. It's just not necessarily real. Your past is really important for you to navigate the future. That's good stuff. But creation itself only takes place now. And it's never left the now. There's never been a... There's never such a thing as past. And there's never such a thing as future. There never has been such a thing. There is only now. That's all God does. God creates now. I mean, think about it. How silly would it be for God to create yesterday, right now? I mean, that's ridiculous. Or tomorrow. Also ridiculous. So, I mean, is God creating an hour ago? Answer? No. Is he creating an hour from now? That'd be ridiculous. That'd be silly. Is he creating a, a minute ago? Is he creating a minute from now? Is he creating a second ago? Is he creating a second from now? No. Where is God? Like, where does God USB cable interface with creation? The answer is now and where? Everywhere. 
here. Well, everywhere, but here and now. Here and now. And which is really funny because a lot of you have been like postponing your God experience. You know, like, you know, let's say you're on your LL flight and you're thinking like on LL, you're, you know, you're on an LL flight and the person sitting next to you says, oh, you're going to Israel? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, so you want, you're going to have a God experience, huh? And you're, you'd probably, you know, Jews are going to deny that. If it was a Christian, they're like, sure. Jesus talked to me every day. So, you know, they're always having their God experience. But we, we don't have, you know, these kinds of things. We are connected to the actual creator of the universe. And the, but what you've been doing is postponing your God experience as if maybe it's going to happen at the Kotel this Shabbat. Like, when are you planning on having your God experience, everybody? You've been here for a while. Like when, when were you planning on it? I mean, are you all like, is it for like next Tuesday? And you're going to like prepare for it for a week or something? And when, when was your God experience supposed to happen on your trip to Israel? Well, I'd like to suggest that it's happening right now. Excuse me. What do you mean by your God experience? Well, if the only creation is happening via God into this world, right. now, this would be the God experience. Why are we postponing? We are having it now. Excellent. Can you do me a favor and hit off the AC? Everyone, get ready to snap on four. One, two, three, four. Together. On four, we'll snap. One, two, three. Breathe. Welcome to the God experience. What do you think so far? It's amazing. Shh, Some of you are a little, looking a little disappointed. You're probably from the postponers. I wasn't ready for the God experience. Let's try it again. On four, we're going to snap this time. Everyone get ready. If you're chewing gum, get rid of it, please. Never have God experiences while chewing gum. Okay? Here we go. On three. One, two... On four, we snap. One, two, three. Some of you might be like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Something going to happen? And the answer is, it's happening. It's been happening. It always was happening. You were just not aware that it's happening all around you. The God experience is happening all the time. I mean, there's higher levels and lower levels. You could be wearing a pair of tefillin right now. Some of you men, that might be good. You could be at the hotel. But you could be anywhere. It's always the God experience. When have you ever had an experience that wasn't the God experience? It's always the God experience. A lot of us are, are what you'd call peak experience junkies. I certainly used to be. Like, I postponed everything until the peak experiences would happen. Planning these trips I would take. and I was a peak experience junkie. I just needed to have that. I, I had to be hit in the face with something to feel like something was happening. Like, I was alive. I had to be riding a 20-foot wave or, or riding down some extreme mountain bike trail or something that just to start feeling my pulse 
And then, of course, there was all kinds of other ways to alter consciousness to, you know, other ways of altering consciousness to try to feel the experience of life. But I'll give you a claw, a principle. You ready for the principle? You can write it down if you want. Spiritual people sensitize themselves to the subtlety of God in the moment. I'll say it again. Spiritual people sensitize themselves to the subtlety of God in the moment. It's not a spiritual person who postpones spirituality, even if they do it, like they actually go do stuff that's spiritual. But, you know, okay, great, you did some extreme move that led to spirituality. But how about no extreme move? How about just being? I'll say it one last time just in case you didn't get it. Spiritual people sensitize themselves to the subtlety of God in the moment. And when I'm saying God here, I'm talking about the divine. There's a whole kinds of meditation about God himself. But the divine is, is pulsing, pulsing with God's creation. He creates it now. So this is the God experience. So your question was about free will. And... The answer is, is that every time you have a choice to make, which is more often than you think, every time you have a choice to make, you're in the illusion of the divine that has now appeared with a fork in the road of a choice, meaning you're now at a fork. There's no real fork. There's really only God. There's no road. There's only God. There's no you. This is just an avatar and the you is this consciousness. But that consciousness has been made aware by the physical world around him or her of a choice that needs to be made. And so you make that choice. And you want to make a good choice, which means if it's the more important the choice gets, the more you're going to need a mentor to help you make that choice. Don't make important choices alone, ever. That's another principle. Never make important choices on your own. Okay? If you make the choice, really? I sometimes We're almost there. I'm going there, don't I? We never make important choices on your own. I've lived by that since I'm a little kid. It has led my way like nothing else. Never make important choices alone. <laughs> I mean, I'm really extreme. I don't even make unimportant choices alone. <laughs> I feel bad for my wife. I call her sometimes. I mean, not all the time, but there's an unimportant choice. And I just can't seem to choose. And I'm not a coin flipper. You know, my, my brother Sam, he's a coin flipper. He actually, uh, oh, speaking of the Doobie Brothers, he was just in, uh, I forget what state he travels every week to another state. He's a rab traveling rabbi, musician. And he, uh, anyway, he just, he just happened to find out whatever town he was in that the Doobie Brothers were playing. And he, uh, so he flipped a coin whether to go or not and said to go. The person, he had no ticket. The person he's standing, but this is the way we roll. The person he was standing behind, his ticket wasn't working. A nice, expensive ticket wasn't working. And so the lady says, we're so sorry. Listen, we're going to comp you even better tickets. And gives him better tickets. And my brother just says to the guy, what are you going to be doing with your ticket? And he said, you take it. <laughs> and so there he was, ninth row center for the Doobie Brothers. Anyway, but they, it's a yes world. Everyone say it's a yes world. Yes world. It's 
yes world. Again, it's a yes world. It's a yes world. Raise your hands if you like that feeling of saying yes to people sometimes. Meaning when they need something and they and you could do it, you got a little time, and it's and it, you can get it done for them. Raise your hand if you like that. Raise your hand high. I want you guys to see how many hands are up. Keep them up high. Let me just show the world. Just your hands. Look, hands are up there, everybody. Okay, keep those hands up. Smile. Okay. Oops, did I put on the flash? Oh, man. How do I get rid of that? Was it this? No, too over. Oh, no, that's not good. Well, there it is. Did you notice that almost everyone had their hands up? What kind of world is this? Everyone repeat. It's a yes world. world. But you know how you've been living your life? In a no world. Because I understand you. I have the same issue. My biggest fear is rejection. I really want you people to like me. I, I have a terrible fear of rejection, a horrible fear of social, you know, social anxiety and stuff. Like it's really, it has had more impact on my life than probably any other thing that's ever impacted me. And a lot of things have impacted me, but my fear of rejection is by far has had the biggest impact on my life, and it actually almost killed me. I mean, I, I was I was going to have my colon removed over it uh, because of all of my social anxiety was hitting my digestive system. And I healed it, and from the healing that I, I didn't heal it, meaning I, the work that I did healed it, and, um, and ever since then I run that work. My workshops are all really based on me being able to keep my colon from really deep work that I did. Anyway, that's why I'm standing in front of you today and relaxed and enjoying you guys is because, because I worked it through. But it's still the fear. The fear's there. I just am able to get in front of it instead of always stuck behind it. Anyway, long story short about a yes world is, why have you been living as if it's a no world? Because when you're, because no is what? Re. No is? Rejection. And it's the most popular fear in the world. Rejection's the most popular fear in the world. Of the five fears, rejection's the most popular. And it's, it's, um, and so it's much better to do things yourself Except that means you're not networking in God's world. Well, it's, don't forget that this world's an illusion. It's all really Hashem. Everything is made of, well, it's not Hashem, it's divine. It's Elokus. Everything's made of the Elokus of Hashem. And all these people are happy to say yes. And they don't even exist, really, because everything's the divine. So when you need to get something done, you network that thing. You get it done with a network. You network your way around the world and people love it just like you love it. Everyone raise their hands because you love it. I say yes to people for crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. I'm a yes man. I'm a yes man. Everyone try that. I'm a, I'm a yes person. Try that. I'm a yes person. And you want to know something? What goes around comes around. Because I'm a yes person, the answer is always yes to me. I showed up Friday. You know, you know the story. I showed up Friday to, to uh, Hebron to go pray at the cave of the Machpelah in honor of the Shabbat, of when Abraham bought the plot of land for, for uh, his wife Sarah to bury her. And I thought, well, what an opportune day to go say psalms, at, you know, go do some prayers for, the, for many people, and, and uh, I'll go pray there. Good day to go pray there. What I didn't realize is there's 40,000 other people with the same idea, and they're coming for Shabbat, you know, which means they want to get close, and they want to park, and they want to stay there. And I, I didn't know that. So, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I showed up and there was roadblocks already outside the town checking your papers to see if you had any permission to even get in the town with your vehicle. 
Anyway, eight roadblocks later, what was the answer each time? No. What was the answer each time? Yes. yes. I Every single... I, I you Did you find your phone? My phone? You lost something. I don't know. My glasses, I think. You got you find them? No. So sorry. Say amen. Hashem yamali et chisroncha. Say amen. Listen. My mind. Hashem's going to... May Hashem return you, your stuff. Now... <laughs> Guys, it's four, and I got a lot left to say. We're almost done. But we got to get it done. Anyway, it was yes all the way through. And every cop whose specific job was to say no. Every single cop who was given the job, invested to say no, said yes. Every cop. And my line was very simple. I came here to pray. I'm not here for Shabbat. I just came here to pray. But, and this car full of people know, I found out later at dinner that my 19-year-old daughter had the window open. And, you know, he looks to see who's in this car. You know, it's part of a cop's job at a roadblock. You know, he looks in the car and my daughter, my 19-year-old daughter is like this in the window going. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Easy does it. Yeah, and, and all the rest of the kids are saying, Ain od milvado. Ain od milvado. Ain od milvado. What does that mean? There's nothing but God. This is all an illusion. There's no street. There's no cop. There's no roadblock. There's no nothing. All there is is God. So they're just saying this with deep intention. Ain od milvado. My job is to say I came to pray and my daughter, I found out later, was going like that. That was her job. Like that. Anyway, next thing we know, we're parked at the grave. We parked right at the grave. The last guy didn't trust me, which is, I understand. I mean, he's really the last stand. He didn't trust me, so he took my ID. He took my ID. He says, you can get it back when you drive out. You know, because there's this last, like, descent into the actual inner world of, of Machpelah there. Listen. Are we really making choices in God's world? No. We are not, because it's all the divine. Everything is the divine. But are we experiencing choice, yes or no? Yes. Yes. One more thing about the yes person, that I'm a yes person. Just one more thing, I forgot to mention this. Where would you be today if you knew everyone would say yes since you were a kid? I mean, you were born, like, genetically resistant to, to being afraid of rejection. And so you just started asking for whatever you needed, where would you be today? I promise every one of you, you would be in a completely and totally different place today if you had seen it as a yes world. You'd be, you just wouldn't be sitting here right now. You'd be in a completely different place. Well, I suggest from this moment onward that you see it as a yes world. Please say it's a yes world. Say it together. It's a yes world. And I'm a yes person. Great. Does that mean you can never say no? Of course you can say no. And that's why God gave you a brain. You know, use your brain. Say no when it knows appropriate, but you'll be shocked how often you say yes. You'll be shocked. Okay, now, one sec. Do we really have free will? No. Everything's the divine. But do you have an experience of free will? Yes. Everyone say yes. 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 Yeah, you sure do have an experience. I mean, I just got through the biggest micro choices when I was out there on the mountains there, and I also got lost a little bit on the top of some of those desert mountains and had to make a bunch of choices and stuff. Was it an illusion? Yeah. All there is is God. Had God forbid something happen to me, I would immediately be in the spiritual world. 
and my body would have just been on the mountain. I would have been, meaning that little last membrane of the nephish that's USB cabled into my conscious mind would have just gone like, it would have just gone like, boop. <laughs> hey, where the hell am I? You know, and what would have happened, it would have gotten united with the rest of the nephish, all of the ruach, all of the neshama, all the chayan, all the yechida. It would have all been united. And I'd been like, what? This is awesome. Yeah. It would have been really awesome. It would have been really sad. Your class would have been a bummer. And, um, and I'm sure you'd get over it, but my family would probably be totally bereft forever. You know, they would like never, ever be the same. But, you know, there's a reason we dance at Rebbe Shimon's yurt site. Because Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, taught us all the Kabbalah that I'm teaching you now. He's the one who taught us all this. So he commanded that live music and dancing at his, at his I almost said wedding, because it's called a hilula, which means a wedding. The hilula de Bar Yochai, the wedding of the Bar Yochai. Why? Because while you're in this world, it's like you're divorced. No, let's call it separated. While you're in this world, you're separated. And when you do a mitzvah, it's like, hey, let's give it a try. Let's give it another try. When you do another mitzvah, you're doing, let's give it another try. But otherwise, you're separated. And when you die, you're, you're back together again. Doesn't it take time to get back together? Okay, but there's no time anyway there. Yeah. It's, it's not a comfortable experience to deal with all the negativity you might have brought into the world. I mean, we all have a big spiritual footprint as well. Not just a physical carbon footprint on the environment, but we also have a spiritual footprint on the world. And, and you, may have to, you may have to deal with some of that. You will have to deal with some of that. But hopefully very little of it because you're all smart people and a smart person would do tshuva before they die. You know, you'd have to be a total idiot to not do tshuva on a regular basis. I mean, anyone who waits around for Yom Kippur is like, you know, he needs an IQ test and some serious ginkgo and gilboa or something. I don't know. He's got to get his mind, get his head on his shoulders because you'd have to be a knucklehead to wait for Yom Kippur for tshuva. You know, who says you're going to die the day before, the day after Yom Kippur? Who says that's going to happen? You know, they, you could, what if you die later in the year or any other part of the year? So therefore you do tshuva. When you do something wrong, do tshuva right away. Keep your slate clean because you never know when you're going to go. And uh, I bless you, I'm going to live a nice long life, by the way. Anyway, God's doing the whole thing. So can you go upstairs? After 120 years, I bless everybody, live 120 years in good health. In good health. I don't want one of you guys, like, 119 years old, you haven't walked in 20 years, and you're just like, I'll kill that rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 120 years in good health. And, um, and the, um, when you get upstairs, do you think one of, the, your, one of your answers you get to give for your ridiculous job you did down here, no offense, do you think one of the answers when God's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> when he's reviewing your life, he's just like, do you have anything to say for yourself? For all of that craziness you put your spouse through. Just kidding. Um, do you have anything to say for all that? And then your answer, you can come in, you can get a soundbite. I'm on my last soundbite. So what are you going to say to God? Well, I tell you, one of the things you're not going to say is, but God, I learned a little Kabbalah. It was all you. There's only you. It was all an illusion. So how can you possibly bust me? 
for being in the, for, I was a figment of your imagination. So you can't bust me for making stupid choices in my life. It was all you. You did it. He did it. Yeah? Like Adam, you know, or this, you know, she made me do it. The snake did it. Anyway, um, the bottom line is you can't go to God and say he did it. You know what God's going to say to you? The first thing he's going to say is idiot. <laughs> idiot. That's how it's going to start. And then the next words are going to be, you had an experience of choice. You yourself experienced choice. You always had that very real experience of choice. Every time you had a choice, you always experienced choice. And, and so therefore, your choices are real with a lowercase r. God is real with a capital R. Your choices are real with a lowercase r. And I want to tell you something. If the realm that you'll ultimately be in was where that conversation took place, you might have a way to have the conversation. But it doesn't take place there. It's, in, it's part of the metaphysical world. The metaphysical world's where you go. Meaning there's our physical world, and then you go into the metaphysical world, and then there's layers and layers. You have to get through them. Oh, you can turn the AC back on. There's layers and layers, and you have to get through them. But you're not going to be able to say to God, it's all you, because you're going to be in those layers at the time anyway. Um, I've gone over time, so I bless you all. I'll see you in two and a half weeks. Um, have an amazing two and a half weeks. Rabbi Neckemeyer is coming on with a musical concert and the seven questions. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.